And welcome to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. You may remember in episode 81, which we recorded in late 2019, we met up with our friend Aaron Challenger uh, to talk about all things Doctor Who merchandise. Since then, a small pandemic has claimed the world. We'll be talking with Aaron to discuss uh, the last 18 months and how the COVID-19 has impacted uh, collecting and also him striking out on his own with his very own shop. And not only that, we'll be talking about the current parlour state of Doctor Who merchandising. Tonight we're broadcasting live. Welcome back. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. One would say that uh, opening a shop during a pandemic would be slightly, uh, what's the word, crazy. Tell us what's happened and, and why you've done it. As you guys know, I've collected my whole life and I've always aimed to open Aaron's Collectibles. Um, and it just took a pandemic and lots of time on my hands to make that happen. And in terms of establishing a shop, uh, from the from the beginning, as it were, talk talk to us about how uh, how you done that. Well, uh, I always tell anyone who walks in and asks what happens and how did you open a shop, and I'm like, well, I collected and I collected and I collected, and then I opened a shop. In practical terms, it's a lot harder than that. And as you've said, we've had COVID, which has really changed the collecting landscape. And I guess one of the things that that did do was bring um, rents down. Oh. And I have looked in the past at opening a shop, and I've realised that. If I was selling my collection, I would be selling a collection to make a landlord very, very rich. But, mm. <laughs> but because all of a sudden things have changed and um, a lot of shops went under during that time, landlord and rent became a lot more, um, a lot more feasible to, to make a shop. I guess the thing with any business is the first two years are the, uh, the vulnerable years where you've got to look at not making any money. and. Uh, when I was looking and doing the numbers before the pandemic, it was really going to be tough. Uh, and even though we're living under the threat of suddenly um, going back into lockdown any time, it makes it a lot easier where you can actually make it financially viable because that's one of the issues that isn't as big a, a bigger thing hanging over you. Now, one of the things we all noted during uh, lockdown here in, in, uh, in Australia was the, the rise in online buying and purchasing why was it appealing to you to have a store and not just merely sell everything online i'm one of those people who always have loved stores i've loved going into other people's stores and i love going to markets and collectible places and looking at things and picking them up and seeing the condition and one of the things with the collectibles that i deal in like they're vintage so you can put them up online and they do do really well online over over lockdown prices have gone through the roof but what I've always found, a seller looks at things through rose-coloured glasses and the buyer looks at things with x-ray specs. So when, when, when I see something listed as mint and I actually get it, it's generally not what I would call <laughs> mint. And to avoid that kind of thing, I sell a lot of new things online and I sell a lot of collectible things in the shop where everyone can come in and see um, the condition of things. Yes, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Every time I sort of pop in here because the shop's not too far from me, there's always people coming in and, and you know being in the shop and, and most importantly buying things so the uptake of traffic and that's been uh, you've been very very pleased with that it's been beyond what i thought the one good thing about the internet yes a lot of people buy and sell on it now but it's a promotional tool that shops like this didn't have even going back to the last shop the, it wasn't mine that i opened it took us years and years to get a following 
where now almost instantly you can put it out there it gets shared on Facebook it gets shared on Instagram people will tell their friends people will come in and take photos and and post them and then you're getting calls from England saying oh I see you've got this in your store do you ship overseas and you haven't even advertised it yourself mm. So not only is Facebook good for right-wing conspiracy theories, but it's also good for uh, opening up and <laughs> expanding the virtues of the collectible stores. Now, yeah. we might as well at the top of the show just give everyone, uh, and we'll repeat this at the end, we're in Aaron's Collectibles. Aaron, what's the street address here? We are Shop 3, Number 1 Main Street, Blackburn in Victoria. So, so that's ideal for everyone living in Melbourne, of course. Uh, online, what are, what are your online? Uh... So we have this, the same thing. Aaron's Collectibles has quite a interactive Facebook page and Instagram account. And then we also have a Shopify page um, that we, we sell stuff. But because we've got so many items in, shop, uh, in the shop, there's only a small amount of, um, of what we've got listed online. Okay. And Aaron is spelled A-R-O-N for those people out there. Yep. Very good. Yeah. And you also have a, a YouTube channel, I noticed. Not a YouTube channel. Uh, once a week we do a live, uh, I guess it's a video blog on um, on Facebook where we just pick a different subject and talk about collectibles for an hour. It usually goes for about two hours. <laughs> and that's uh, fully interactive and live, so anyone can make a comment and we will sometimes include those comments in the show. Sometimes we totally ignore them. Um, but that's going pretty well as well. And you were saying just before we turn the microphone on, uh, the most popular one that you've recently had is the... We did a show on old stores in Melbourne. So if you're local and you remember, you know, getting on public transport, going into Melbourne, hitting as many of the collectible and comic book stores as mm. you can, all of those old stores. Yeah, that was very popular. And uh, for being a, a city at the backside end of the world, um, it, it has been a surprisingly vibrant... Uh, industry here in Melbourne. I remember, you know, I go back as far as 30 years in terms of going to Minotaur when they were in Swanston Street. But I mean, they obviously they're just happy to import stuff from the UK and, and America. I think every major city does have the comic book shop that imports things. Um, I think we were lucky in Melbourne because the people who were running them weren't just running them uh, as a financial thing. There was a lot of fans running the shops in Melbourne, so they would get unusual things in. So. If you collected um, sci-fi and books, you had Space Age books and Minotaur books. If you had, uh, if you're into posters and movies, you had Moviola. Then there was a couple of big book exchanges, and there was also record shops in Melbourne that would import stuff from overseas. And I'm sure, look, we, I grew up in Melbourne, so I think Melbourne's great. Mm. I think we had quite a good um, culture for those kind of things in Melbourne during the late 70s and early 80s. One of the things I, I lament is is the growth of the chain, the big box chain stores. Where I mean, we're sitting in a in a in a shop here, which is, you know, is pure genre ness, mm-hmm. right? And you can, but everything seems to, you know, you can go to get JB or you can go, you know, to Target or Kmart, and it just seems that that culture that you're talking about seems to have been sort of eroded, really. Yeah. It is one of those things. I think in the in the late '80s and early '90s, um, where big business kind of said, "Aha." Like, you know, Star Wars is coming back um, and we can make some money out of this. You'll get, um, you know, Maya here had the Star Wars shop for a couple of years, but it doesn't last because where a fan will have a shop and they'll ride out the low times as well as the highs. As soon as there's a low time for, um, you know, a Coles Maya type um, business, that's it. It's on to the next um, big thing. So... Um, I think we're lucky in Melbourne that there have been shops, Alternate Worlds and um, some of those other comic shops that, you know, through the the quiet times have also stuck it out. And there are shops now like Zing, which sort of have a, 
you know, a foot in each in each camp where they rely on the collectibles and they rely on collectors because that's what a lot of their merchandise is. But they've also linked to EB Games mm. and they have to be commercial and they have a turnover of stuff. And if it doesn't sell, they get rid of it fast. Um, and that's actually good because it means um, the actual fan base and the amount of people collecting is bigger than when we were sort of collecting back in the 80s and 90s where it was only niche shops that would be supported. Um, now there is, you know, the shops in the high points and the shopping centres that there is enough interest in what we kind of collect to, mm. to support that. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly surprised. I'm a former employee of Minotaur for a couple of years. And, you know, with the rise of the internet amongst our group, the, the constant refrain was, how in God's name does Minotaur still exist? Why aren't people buying stuff off online? Because I know what the markup in Minotaur was. <laughs> um, but I, I think you're, what you said earlier, that, that tactile sense, of, you know, that tactile need that fans have to come in, pick up a magazine, leaf through it, and I'll buy it, or look in the cabinet and there's a Space Invaders game over there, or there's a Dalek Emperor model there, or turning around, there are Bioshock characters there, there's Iron Man up on the wall. I mean, you, you come in and you see something like that, and that's a real... I mean, that's a drama. I, mean, I come in here, I just bought three books just before <laughs> we started recording because I wouldn't have otherwise done that online. Yeah. So there's the benefit of having the store, isn't there? Yeah, I think it is. It's one of those things as well. A lot of people went over to online and they've had so many disaster stories that they go back to, I'd like to just come in and, and see it. And the other thing, when um, the internet was kind of taking off and you have all the e-businesses and things like that, you could get a bargain because not mm. everyone was doing it. But now there's so many people doing it. A bargain turns up if, if it's on a Facebook page. It's gone within, you know, five minutes. And then the people who bought it half the time are reselling it. Mm. And it's not yeah. a bargain anymore. So a lot of the stuff online, you know, when you when you were saying, oh, look, I would work for Minotaur and how can Minotaur survive? <laughs> now it's just as hard online navigating and finding a bargain as it is yeah. walking into a shop and getting one. And let's, let's face it, if you find something online, then you have to wait to have it shipped to you and shipping is crazy and mm. now it's taking forever so a lot of people just would like to walk into a shop and, and buy it and take yeah. it home with them right. now last time you were on Aaron was slightly controversial in particular around the um, sales or lack thereof really of the uh, new series merchandising and the current state of it in the last 18 months since you were last on the podcast has that improved in terms of the new series merchandising? Or what has changed? Well, lockdown has changed the way people collect because I think when people are a collect, there's the casual collectors that will buy a couple of things and then there are collectors that habitually buy something, you know, every week or every month. And just because we're in lockdown, that's not going to stop them from, from buying stuff. Um, what I have noticed uh, with the new series... So I'm not talking about the immediate new series. Uh, the new series stuff has been selling a lot better if we're talking about, you know, since Doctor Who came back in 2005 because the ABC have been repeating uh, from Christopher Eccleston again uh, and I think they're up to Matt Smith at the moment. And I have it has been amazing to me um, how many kids have come back in and they're collecting... And they're buying, you know, Matt Smith's Sonic Screwdriver or David Tennant figures or Billy Piper figures. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, they haven't repeated the Jodie Whittaker stuff. Um, that still isn't selling at all. And I, I was saying to Mark before um, we, we recorded this, I've had two kids come in and say, I was given the Jodie Whittaker Sonic Screwdriver for Christmas. Can I swap it for one of the other doctors? <laughs> so, oh uh, unfortunately, it hasn't really taken off. I don't 
think she's been repeated here. Um, I don't recall. It, no, no, I don't believe that she has. I mean, the last time, last episode that was uh, screen was uh, Revolution of the Daleks. So yeah. Yeah, and before anyone thinks I'm a I'm a big uh, hater of Jodie Whittaker. I'm just a little hater, but um, <laughs> I do support the series because I own a shop. I always make sure that I buy all the current merchandise and have it in stock. Yeah. So I do have Jodie Whittaker dolls and I have like some of the Doctor Who magazines with Jodie Whittaker and I do have the Jodie Whittaker sonic screwdriver. And since we have opened since uh, December last year, I haven't sold a single item. At all. Not one. One of the biggest sellers for Doctor Who, and I think it's not just shops but online and the the groups at the moment is the character options action figures um and the ones that have really taken off the new series stuff does sell but the ones that are really sought after by collectors are the classic series and i think you can see by the waves that they currently currently release in bnm uh, the ones that are the most popular are the classic doctors so they've been releasing the classic doctor companions and packs themed from different stories like uh, Terror of the Zygons, I think, was the last one. They did a, th- a few theme packs and the unit packs. And they are sort of really, really desirable. But the older ones that were released um, years ago are really hard to get. And over uh, lockdown, I saw one of the US stores had a big sale and cleared out all their classic series merchandise. And it worked out cheap enough that if I bought it in bulk, the postage was crazy but because I bought like you know about a hundred items over all of those items it um, it averaged out as being worth doing and when I got the uh, package I opened it and the first thing I saw there was a whole lot of Jodie Whittaker figures in there and I'm like oh no <laughs> uh, I've got the wrong You've order been scammed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got the invoice and all the figures I ordered were in it and there was all these extra Jodie Whittaker figures in it and the shop had actually used it as packing to pack out the order and send them over for free basically so it isn't just me that is experiencing a lack of interest in the in the current series uh, just a step back when you say uh, the repeats have drawn more younger people to the store yeah are these kids experiencing doctor who for the first time do you know or is it that their interest is being rekindled by the repeats and they were fans from earlier it's a bit of both it's really interesting because i would have thought where everything is on some digital platform Mm. somewhere that showing something on terrestrial tv wouldn't have that much of an impact anymore because Mm. you know if i wanted to watch david tennant you can get online and you can find it somewhere but i think the the regularity of having something on every single night and being part of a routine rather than binge watching something over a weekend and then all your enthusiasm is there for the next week and then it dies off when you binge watch the next thing having something on the abc which the whole family can Mm. watch because there's not a lot of shows that the whole family can watch and enjoy Mm. um going back to those russell t davies episodes and uh kids discovering them again they haven't dated enough that they look funny or that they're you know old-fashioned um, but they're still current and popular enough and fun uh, that they have been introduced to a new generation of kids here that didn't watch the series before or they're watching them because their parents are saying, hey, watch this, and they watch a couple and they go, hey, they're really good. Um, and they are generating sales for that era of merchandise, and it's been quite quite strong. Yeah. Those streaming services who dump series in one go are yeah. really doing themselves and their viewers a disservice because... There's no way that they're building up any interest. As you say, yeah. yes, you have that sugar rush of 
six, eight, ten episodes, and then they're gone. Mm. And the weekend everyone moves on. I mean, I think the the, the conversation around say one division or uh, the Winter Sol- the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, yeah. because they're being dropped weekly. Absolutely, yeah. enabled you know buy-in and conversations in- and whatever, yeah. and that built up. And you had, you had people coming in to you know buy the merchandise well, and looking with forward it. to watching it as well. I mean, my kids are said every Friday night we watch one division or the Winter Soldier, and even you know, the Mandalorian as well. So yeah, just yeah. having that weekly uh, something to look forward to yeah. as a family I and, think which is why I, everyone sort of every second person on the internet or on Twitter seems to say well we can't wait until Doctor Who is uh, taken over by Netflix it will kill the show they'll, they'll dump a dozen episodes in one go and you won't see anything for 18 months it needs to be I think television needs to be go back on a to weekly yeah. on a weekly schedule yeah. yeah it is interesting from a merchant po- merchandising point of view movies and TV shows ads for what I sell yep so I'm a big fan of Doctor Who and I would collect it regardless regardless and there's Star Wars is the same thing I'm a big Star Wars fan there's a lot of things I collect but the other stuff um, that is in the shop there's a lot of lines that you know I don't sell but other people collect and you do see with the model um, which we were discussing where they dump the whole uh, series in one go it has a really really big sales for you know a couple of weeks and mm. then it drops off because people go on to the, the next thing so when shows do that it might be good for their ratings and it might be good for the actual network or the streaming services um, sort of uh, publicity and they get a lot of buzz um, you know they HBO have milked so much out of the Snyder Cut and you know what that was anticipated and looked forward for and we're a month out from that and no one talks about it anymore and it didn't sell any, any it didn't sell any um, extra merchandise but you get the shows, uh, like you're saying, that are the dropped weekly on, on Disney Plus and a couple of the other uh, services that drop things weekly. And there is that sustained interest and it does seep more into that person's psyche. And it is talked about weekly and people do come in and talk about it week after week. And it is better for the selling of the merchandise because instead of, you know, a shop like Target or Kmart have to have it all out for that one week and do all the sales front loaded it will last over you know six months when the mm. show is sort of screening just to go back I mean because we, we did concentrate in our last episode about uh, how the you know the, the wholesalers were dealing with the, the, the sort of the, the drop off with regards to merchandise during the Jodie Whittaker era has anything changed is it still basically the same of you know merchandisers or wholesalers sort of backed away it's really interesting I think uh, there isn't as much to buy from our local distributor for most of the Doctor Who stuff is a company called Icon um, and I've been dealing with them for decades now and they have the um, at the moment on their website is probably the lowest amount of Doctor Who I've seen since the series came back so they've stopped um, supplying it but that said, they do get some items in, but I think they pick and choose what they're getting in. And that's meant because they're not pre-ordering it and because it's not coming through um, in bulk lots, the prices that I pay for it at wholesale have gone up and it means the prices in the stores have gone up as well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because yeah. B&M have exclusive Doctor Who figures in England and everyone in Australia wants them. Yep. 
And then when we get them, it turns out that they cost about the same at retail as if you bought them off a scalper and got them imported from the UK. And you probably get them quicker if you get them from the UK. Although one wave did hit Australia before the UK and then all the UK fans kind of had a meltdown. <laughs> Why have we not got these first? Uh, How do the really, colonies benefit? It really doesn't matter. Uh, like they turn up every, If they turn up in Australia, they're going to turn up yeah. in the UK. Um, so... It is one of those interesting things at wholesale. Um, there isn't as much that you can buy, and that's why I've been looking at other ways to source stuff because I'm a secondhand dealer and we're a secondhand shop. It doesn't really matter so much for me. If someone comes in and says, I want this, it's at the wholesaler, I can order it in for them and it would just be the recommended retail price. And if someone says to me, I'm after this and I can't find it anywhere, I say, well, I can source it somewhere and look for it globally and I'll bring it in and it'll be whatever it costs to... to to bring it in uh, the 60th anniversary is coming up two years time mm-hmm. merchandising was pretty big in the 50th what do you, any any predictions in terms of the 60s do you think the BBC and, and worldwide will get their act together in terms of recalibrating the, the merchandising a bit you think and on that score Aaron compare 10 years ago to today was there a beginning 10 years ago of a big build up towards the 50th there was so what's happening now <laughs> well nothing's happening now the, the 50th year was huge in Australia. It was huge globally. I don't know if you remember. They knew they were going to make a lot and they were going to do well globally for the 50th anniversary. We have um, a trade industry fair called Toy Fair in Melbourne. And all the people who you know have licences and licensees go there and show what's coming up. The last couple of years, Doctor Who hasn't been represented at all. And this year they had a virtual toy fair because we couldn't have, you know, a a proper fair. And as far as I know, you know, they ran it and even, um, you know, someone like me who's looking to buy stuff, they didn't even turn up and look. So I can see the industry being a couple of years or 18 months behind just because of the way the situation is with the uh, pandemic. Mm. Um, The supply isn't there all the movies and, and franchises haven't come out. So if they haven't come out, um, you can't really sell the toys or they're not going to sell it at the numbers they thought. Yeah. Great example of that was Wonder Woman, where it was so close to coming out, they sort of dropped a lot of the merchandise. So you could go into Safeway and buy Wonder Woman Doritos. Mm. And then the, the, the movie didn't come out till like a year later. Mm. So it kind of screwed all the merchandisers who had you know, paid. So I think everyone at the moment is on holding pattern Doctor Who is an interesting franchise because it's been running so so long and for so many years it's it's cross generations with uh, the people who collect it so BNM I think of BMM I think have worked out you know it doesn't matter what figures we release anymore as long as we can release a wave and they're cheap we're going to sell everything because there is that many people who will buy one of everything from the classic series. It doesn't matter if we release the Tar and Wood Beast in a set. Like people are gonna, <laughs> people are gonna buy it. They know the numbers, like the baseline numbers. The other thing that's interesting, I think, um, uh, character have now done a couple of releases that are exclusive, and you can buy them straight through them, mm. which cuts out. You know, is, is are we going to get enough shelf space on the? on the um, supermarket stores and they've all sold out. So character know if they do a wave of figures, they're not going to lose any money because they're going to sell out every 
every single figure. I think the last set they did was the Jungles of Mechanus with two movie-style Daleks, and um, they sold out in a week or two, and now they're doubled on the scalper market. And I know fans go, that's horrible, just release more. Really, it's good because it means if they release more and they don't sell them all, we might not get more figures. Mm. But if if they advertise and they sell out, then okay, if you don't get them first up, you might have to pay more for them. But you know you're going to get another wave of figures. Yep. So it's balancing that line with merchandisers of making it profitable and still collectible for fans where they can buy sort of one of everything. Um, I mean, you see uh, pictures on the internet where the B&M releases go live, as it were, and as people, their car beats open with all these Dalek sets and whatever Doctor Who sets. Thumbs up, because I know they're going to make a a killing on the scalper market as well. It is funny, in this time of pandemic where people weren't allowed out, I saw like (laughs) people were having a meltdown because they had the new... Doctor Who figures in, but the toy section was cordoned off because it's not essential um, items, and not yeah. essential items, so they couldn't sell them. So there's a lot of fans go, oh, I see them, but I can't can't buy them, and you know, there's a lot of worse things that could happen in well, pandemic. <laughs> so what you're saying is the pandemic has sort of come at a good time for, you know, as a good excuse for why there's nothing out there. I can definitely see the BBC blaming the pandemic on the limited appeal of Doctor Who at the moment. Um, in terms of merchandising? In terms of everything. Yep. Um, across the board, like, because uh, I work in a shop, and you would know Rob from working in a shop, people who come in and collect aren't short of offering your your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> they give you money, and they also give you your, their opinion. And that's, and that's absolutely fine, because everybody has an opinion. There aren't many people coming in um, who enjoy the current series of Doctor Who, and even people who have given it a go uh, in the sort of okay, we're just treading water until like it's shaken up and there's a new Doctor and there's a new direction. I don't think... I think Jodie Whittaker is really unlucky because I think whoever was the first female female Doctor was going to be shunned and and not accepted from, from a certain amount of people, no matter what, no matter how good the series mm. was. I think um, she's kind of unlucky, though, that the series hasn't hit a stride at the moment. You know, sometimes when a new production team come in and everything changes and shakes things up, everyone's like, oh, it's all new and different and great. Whereas it's kind of been, eh. Even the people who sort of say, I don't mind Jodie, I like Jodie, you, you say, well, what's what's the best monster that's been introduced since um, Chris Chibnall took over? And they kind of go, oh, well... I don't know. Mm. And you go, well, what, what sort of, um, you know, what's the, the best story that they've done? And there are there are people who really enjoy it. Like Rosa comes up quite a bit and some people do enjoy uh, the the lone Cybermen and the, the timeless child story art. But I have got to say, um, that is the very small minority where most people come in and go, there hasn't been anything good. <laughs> uh, there hasn't been any good stories. There haven't been any good monsters. And we're just waiting, you know, for it, for it to be shook, shook up in a new series oh. to go a different direction I think it's safe, safe to say don't, don't choke to death there. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that the, the things that are maybe wrong with the current series certainly you can't lay that at Jodie Whittaker's door I think there are you know a certain showrunner perhaps and um, an approach that they've taken it'd be interesting to see if what happens isn't it towards the 60s if they do a special or I mean there's been rumours flying around that they're just going to do some sort of legacy documentary and just basically have a regenerating and that's it yeah. you know sort of have it to be continued on a different streaming service or something like that I don't know I mean, the, the last couple of years there's been rumours I think every six months there is a rumour Jodie's quit 
Jody's been sacked. The whole team's going. The whole team's staying. They've signed up for more years. It's going to be less episodes. There's going to be more episodes. It's going to wind up at the 60th and then been sold to Netflix or HBO. I don't think there's any solid plan of what's going to happen because I've been um, dealing with merchandise so long. A lot of the people from, you know, 20, 30 years ago that I was uh, selling stuff to and corresponding with have wound up in the TV industry. And they sometimes, I sometimes get the inside track. And up until sort of Moffat, most of what they were saying was, was happening. But the Jodie Whittaker stuff, n- no, none of it's actually happened or none of it's come true. So I, I'm in the boat. Anything I tell you is just, um, you know, speculation. Well, missing episodes, recoveries and missing episode announcements give it a bit of a boost, you reckon, Aaron? I absolutely think they, they would. Um, I think if anyone was sitting on missing episodes, last year would have been the year that you could have made the most out of them if they were released. So I'm slowly in the boat that maybe there isn't anything there. It's six in collector's hands, isn't it? Well, that's that's true. you got all, three of them in their shop. Yeah. <laughs> Come on down to Aaron's Collectibles and see if you can find those film prints. Nice! <laughs> I think it's one of those things where if they're known but they're not coming back, they're missing still. Yes. Yes. So um, anyone who's holding one or two or seven or 96... If they're not giving them back, they're still missing. Here's some interesting statistics that I was looking at the other day. The longest break between missing episode returns was between Tomb of the Cybermen and The Crusade, which was nine years. Mm. Now, nine years ago was when the last missing episode was eight eight years ago. We go one more year, we're equal with the longest break between a missing episode return. So that means if someone has got them and they're not giving them back, chances of one coming back organically just by someone finding it was actually better than someone going out and finding them and sitting on them. Yeah, that's true. So you've got to want to return them, yeah. person overseas. <clears throat> so, so we're due for a missing episode return within the next year just by the odds. The odds, yes, but the odds, you know. And to be honest, a return of missing episodes would buck up the whole feeling around the yes. series. I mean, there is that, you know, I mean, the 50th anniversary for me was, okay, it was good. You know, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the show and there's a, there's a special and there's a big XL convention that a certain person named Mark went to go see and all that. But having those, uh, was it nine? It was yes, nine. Episodes. It was nine. Nine yeah. episodes turn up, just turned it into really a must yeah. be involved in event. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, out of, everything that happened for the 50th that was the best thing for me the missing episodes return yeah so i i think um the way things are with jodie whittaker it would have really been good if they could have had a missing episode return around the same time she debuted and then the bbc could have advertised her something for everyone if you like the new series Mm. and the new way it's going we've got this brand new team with a new direction and if you're one of the older fans that's into the nostalgia we've got some a missing episode has turned up yeah. um, and i think missing episodes do garner a lot of goodwill with fandom yeah. when they when they turn up i mean let's name that let's name a name i mean phil morris is the man that we're sort of obliquely referring to <laughs> i mean he did return uh, those nine episodes those years ago i mean <laughs> We've, we've diverted from merchandise and we're talking about missing episodes but we all, it all, it it all goes back <laughs> I mean if he were to I was a big believer at the time because the people who were saying these things seemed to me to have credibility and whilst it wasn't 90 episodes that turned up it was 9 that's fine that's fantastic 
as the years have rolled by and Phil's inexplicable silence as to the you know what he's actually done has just lengthened and lengthened and lengthened I've come to the conclusion basically that he has nothing more why he hasn't told the world the, the, the fruits of his search I don't understand is it embarrassment is it he likes the limelight and he likes stringing it out a bit longer I don't know but you know it would be great to cut that cord Phil comes out and says look I've done this I, I found this that's it no more and then we can all move on to the next burger van that rumbles by with missing episodes in it <laughs> but until then I mean all he's, all he's doing at the moment online is you know um, he's just wasting people's time well I think like you said there were very very credible people um, saying we've heard this and mm. we think this amount of episodes are coming back and I was hearing the same thing too very 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 early um, as you would know, I, I mm. shared some of the stuff with you probably a year or two before yes. um, it was kind of going around the forums even. And there were people in the chain of releasing stuff that were being prepped to release Marco Polo and then that disappeared. And I don't know why. And no, the interesting thing about that is I know uh, sort of people who... Oh, I can't really say without sort of giving away who they are. But So don't, but... Yeah, but sort of... In, in, in the legal side of the process of releasing episodes that were being prepped for some of these things to, to be released, and they can't even tell me why they thought they were going to be released and then they thought that they're not going to be released mm. and that they could still be released, but they don't know why they're not kind of thing. So it's very frustrating. Yes. I mean, the whole last 10 years has been very frustrating. <laughs> yes. Hairs <laughs> have gone greyer. But um, look, you know, yeah. I mean, I think having something like that would give the program an, an enormous boost. But... Um, yeah. Which unfortunately says a lot about the state of where the show is. I mean, look, the ratings that you see are pretty good. With I mean, with where the TV industry in the UK is, it's pretty good, Doctor Who. It rates reasonably well. Um, but I think in terms... I suppose it's been on for 15, 16 years now. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. But it, it, it should be for a show that's been on for so long, it should have a bit more... It feels like to me it should have a bit more cachet. And I'm, I'm sure the merchandisers, the people who you know want to make money out of selling products related to the show, mm. would, would, would love it to have that. Well, the thing that I have noticed, um, when we came out of the 50th, the merchandise did drop off. And I think we've discussed this before, but one of the reasons was because... Um, they lost a lot of the shop fronts. I think Woolworths in the yeah. uh, in the UK uh, disappeared, so instantly one of the biggest uh, sellers weren't taking it anymore, and that sent jolts through the whole supply chain. And they, you know, they retooled at different size, and they tried to do things to keep it coming. At that time, there were a lot of fans going, "Where is this merchandise? Where is this merchandise? Like, why aren't we getting the figures from the new series? Why aren't they sort of releasing this and that? And why can't we work it out so it's being sold again?" At the moment, with them releasing the Doctor figure and the TARDIS and a couple of companions a year, that's more than enough for the demand that there is there for it. Yep. The BBC must think it's a success and they support it because, I mean, they still get the Radio Times covers and it's still event television for them. So mm. they, they haven't sort of abandoned Doctor Who, I don't think. No, um, it's it's one, of, no. the, one but, of the shows that they still have as a, a flagship program. Yeah. It's good for the BBC, and they obviously support it, but it isn't good for the merchandisers. Mm. And people reflect, you know, well, a couple of years ago we were getting, you know, 14 million with David Tennant, this, and, you know, I think those figures are long gone. Although, if you give them the product, say, but the, for example... those figures are long gone for the whole industry, well, though, mate. I mean, but Line of Duty got 12 million in the UK. So if you can give them the right product and yeah. the right program, you can do something. But obviously there's a bit, a lot but, of build-up behind it. Yeah, yeah. But like Doctor that. Who in its current uh, configuration will never 
never give you those figures. I mean, you don't have a broadly popular lead like David Tennant. You don't have a, a, a mm. production team dedicated to you know, producing broadly popular television. I mean, you look at The Timeless Children, as an average viewer... You're going. What the f is all this about? What am I? What have I just devoted fifty minutes of my, you know, my Sunday evening to, as opposed to a lead actor who is really charismatic, with a lead, uh, you know, companion actress who, who again is really charismatic, and a series of adventures that you, that the whole family can embrace. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. There's no way anyone could embrace the timeless children unless you're a, you're a pure geek. Unless you are one of the woke millennials who love that sort of stuff. You will love it, and you will you'll you'll die on the barricades for it. But anyone else, th- that's not event television. That's not line of duty television. No, no, that's not twelve to fourteen million people on the last episode. That is, you know, a dying remnant. Well, I think it. it I think it says something about the ch- timeless children that the the biggest thing on the internet afterwards was not how great it was or how bad it was it was debates on whether now the brain of morbius doctors are canon or not (laughs) i mean to the average person watching that doesn't mean anything at all no 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 no, no, so niche is not funny don't let your hate get the better of you though mate well it it is it is very (laughs) it is very strange where you can see they're trying to um diversify and appeal to the broadest amount of people and by doing that they've almost alienated as many people as those they've tried to draw in well tony blairs has written about it this week hasn't he that'll age well <laughs> that'll age well <laughs> obviously the last 12 months has seen an extraordinary event in terms of the pandemic from a collector point of view what did you immediately notice i don't think anything has ever happened in the collecting community that has had such a profound effect and change in how people buy and sell stuff as the pandemic now i think in the early pandemic it didn't really have much effect at all we're talking about maybe the first couple of months but after that um there seemed to be people in two different camps people who were really in trouble because they lost their jobs and they weren't going to be able to make things meet um, because of the pandemic and people who had too much time on their hands because they were at home. Uh, the the wages they were going to use to go on holiday, suddenly they had sitting there not doing anything because no one was traveling. And so you have a lot of stuff all of a sudden appear on the internet sites uh, for sale and really amazing stuff, not just um, you know the, the average stuff you see because some people who have had lifetime collections might have been about to lose their house. So they really do have to to clear stuff and this isn't just Doctor Who this is um, every sort of um, field of collectible and then you have all these people who collect and you're seeing things that don't come up very often appear like sort of every week uh, spending so I would have thought during pandemic the prices would have gone down but the prices were actually driven up and they they have gone up to such a point they're never going to come back down to pre-pandemic levels again one of the things of being a long time dealer you see trends and I've been sort of buying and selling for about 40 years and every time you see a trend and prices attain a new high or a new record you always get a lot of people going oh it's a spike you know just wait anyone who buys stuff now they're stupid because it's gonna come back down in six months and you've all wasted your money I can't buy anything at the price it was 10 years ago like those prices go up they might flatten out but they never come back down again because people who bought stuff at that price don't then want to turn around and make a loss and sell it 
and people who didn't you know sell stuff at that price want to obtain that price for their collectible mm. so there's almost a built-in sort of um, feedback loop where prices don't come down you do have you do something might happen where where you know Game of Thrones has a, a horrible last season and that's <laughs> it like the prices bottom out but in general for long-term um, franchises like Doctor Who if you're buying something from the 60s and it hits a new price that's already you know 60 years old almost yeah. it's not going to suddenly come back down again because Jodie Whittaker has a bad series no. it's like the people the people collecting that are not worried about that at all so last year um, I saw crazy things appear online because there were really things that usually only turn up when someone passes away and their collection you know gets broken up uh, not again not just in Doctor Who but across across the board and also I saw stuff go for crazy prices that I've never seen achieved before. Um, Give us some examples of the things that you were noticing in terms of um, A, the prices, but also some of the rarer items that are coming onto the market. Well, I've been, I've been collecting Doctor Who since I was about six or seven. Mm -hmm. And I've always, you know, collected the 60s stuff is sort of the stuff that I love the most, the Dalek mania and all those things. And they were always hard to get in Australia. And so up until the internet, it was very limited what you could get here. And some of the stuff that um, I picked up last year, uh, the Dalek, uh, well, the mechanoids from the 60s. There's a couple of different mechanoids toys. And, you know, the mechanoids were advertised as being the next Daleks and the BBC wanted the next big Dalek mania. And they, they failed spectacularly because they're basically in one episode of The Chase. And, <laughs> that, and then that was it. But they managed to convince a couple of toy companies to make mechanoids and there's the Hertz mechanoid which is a big green piece of plastic which is pretty hard to find but turns up a couple of times a year on eBay maybe and then there's um, the Cherylee mechanoid space pods and they were released as mechanoids and they didn't sell at all so pretty quickly they were re retooled as sort of space modules and um, sold in packets with astronauts the space pod versions are rare but they do turn up and you can get them the original mechanoid um, variants that have different arms and different head, heads are impossible and there's there's basically four different colors of those and over sort of 40 years of collecting I picked up two of them and then within about a month I picked up the other two last year last year during, wow. during lockdown one of the other things um, a lot of people collect Doctor Who books and you know if something has a commercial run you can generally get any book um, if you're prepared to pay for it. But there are a couple of books from the 60s that are absolutely impossible to get. And they're not sort of the, the literature books, they're the disposable books, um, the colouring books and the sticker books. Now, I've had all of the um, colouring books except for one, Planet of the Zactus, if anyone wants to sell me one. <laughs> and um, the sticker books are really hard to get because they were kind of books. They're not really much Doctor Who content. There's sort of a lot of really bad pictures for kids and then you peel the stickers out and then you put them in and then once you've used them, that's it. You know, there's no story in them really. So they're really disposable. And again, I picked up both of those within a couple of weeks of each other in, in lockdown after years and years of hunting them. And so when you did pick up so that the mechanoid figure and the sticker books, did you did the sellers say to you why they were disposing of them? Um, I picked one of them up from another collector I, I knew. So he was, yeah, just raising money. Yep. The other ones were on eBay. Um, and as I was saying, they weren't cheap because there was a lot of people looking for yeah. them mm. and they went for 
quite a bit. Sometimes you can find stuff on eBay if someone lists something at a buy it now and you know they find a, a, a butterfly man badge in their garage and they don't know it's Doctor Who mm. and you're sort of super anal like me and do a search for butterfly man badge and you pick up a Minoptera badge for five pounds or something like that. <laughs> but if people list it right, everyone, there's so many people looking yeah. these days that mm. it's hard to get a get a bargain. But are they looking to buy it for their own collections or looking to buy it and flip it? The prices that a lot of this stuff's going for, um, I don't think you could really flip it. You'd have mm. to be buying it for your own collection. I do know that there is a lot of uh, Doctor Who sellers in the UK that bid on everything from the 60s to a price, and then they drop out if it goes above that price because they sort of know that they can flip it. I think it would probably have become a lot harder for them over the last 18 months because yeah. uh, so many more people are, are buying stuff. And in terms of people disposing their collections... Uh, it was a good time, people like yourself, to pick up collections. Well, I think um, I picked up a lot of stuff I, I bought through the whole year, um, but it was mainly stuff for me because, like I was saying, the prices were so high that um, mm. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't stuff that you could um, resell for very much. I have a philosophy that a lot of people think is a sales pitch, but it's not. Collectors don't regret what they buy, they regret what they don't buy. Mm. And so usually when I see something, if I haven't got it and I know it's rare, doesn't really matter what the price is, I'll buy it. And it's kind of another philosophy I have is the bigger idiot principle. If I'm stupid enough to pay a really dumb price for something, there's always a bigger idiot out there that will eventually buy it for more if I have to if I have to sell it. So um, unfortunately, if you end up like me, king of the idiots, then you have enough to open, <laughs> <laughs> open a shop kind of. This kind very of fine store. No. <laughs> the other thing that happened in lockdown, the way I looked for stuff to purchase changed because everyone was on eBay. Mm. Uh, so the prices of eBay went through the roof and there's a couple of other auction sites. Uh, they're not as popular as eBay, but they're, they're still around and you can use them. Uh, but a lot of people complain because, you know, if you can't find it on eBay or it isn't on a Facebook group, you haven't got any hope of finding it. So I'm giving away some trade secrets here. There is a lot of places online apart from eBay you can find stuff and there was still a lot of way to find relatively cheap items um, online and what I did when lockdown happened and we couldn't go out um, first I picked a country each night because I'm a night owl and I would sit out each night with Google Translate and I go I need these Portuguese Doctor Who books so I would actually instead of looking for the the books I was looking for secondhand book dealers in Portugal and then I would use Google Translate to approach them and say, do you have any of these books? And, you know, nine stores out of 10 didn't, and then one would, and I'd say, how much is this? And they'd say, it's like the equivalent of $2. <laughs> and then the postage across is another $10. Yeah. So I did that and I found a, a lot of, you know, foreign books that plugged in gaps in my collection. And sometimes when they said, yeah, we've got all of them, I'd say, well, I'll take all of them because, you know, a $2 purchase, uh, on on their second-hand shop is a $50 sale or a £50 sale yeah. on, on eBay. So that was good. And the other thing I did when I ran out of countries to look through was I picked states in the US <laughs> and started to like look up comic book galleries, comic book shops. Because if you Google, say, Doctor Who hardbacks, you're not going to find anything apart from ones that are already being picked up by Google yeah. and you know everyone can see. But if you have a shop that has a website, 
like my website, unless you go to that shop and actually go through all their inventory, you generally don't see what's there. Mm. And Mark can attest to this. I probably found one of the best hardback collections that has ever turned up. Yes. Uh, ever. Nearly a full set of hardbacks in mm. a shop. Um, in America. Which, in America, which um, a friend of mine's collecting Doctor Who hardbacks, so I let him him purchase and get sort of nearly a full set. Yeah. Was it a good deal? Just uh, no dollars mentioned, of course. Very good deal. It was very good. And the quality of those books were very good. One of the things I know you've collected books. Doctor Who hardbacks is one of those things. Even apart from the pandemic, the prices have gone through the roof, and it's really interesting because Doctor Who, as like literature, probably the old Target books, nobody really thinks are their masterpieces. There's Mm. a couple that people go are better than others, but Doctor Who has now reached that status like James Bond where beyond us fans liking it, it's recognised as, you know, important to pop culture history. And so where the early James Bond um, books, first editions, go for tens of thousands of pounds, I would not be surprised, um, you know, 10, 20 years from now, if all the Doctor Who, uh, especially the the original ones with dust jackets, are going for that kind of price. Mm. Um, Mainly because people want non-ex library books Mm. and the majority of those books went to libraries so when you've got a small print run and a large percentage of that go to libraries there's already a lot of those books that are going for a thousand pounds two thousand dollars plus oh i really wish i worked at when i was working at target in the late 80s they were selling all those hardback books off for five dollars each Oh, I wish I bought a whole pile of them like I did for somebody else I knew and just put them in the garage and that would have been well, me can, set for life, you I know? I can tell you a story about that because when they... That's true, Target, I think, got the last um, the last batch of new hardbacks when WH Allen stopped producing them and cleared them all out in bulk. Target Australia bought them. Hmm. You know, it was just a surprise. Back then, you wouldn't know something was going to turn up in Target. There was no internet. No. I walked into Target and they have a massive display of Target books for uh, w- the hardbacks for five dollars each. And did you go into Meltdown when you saw them? Did you? I did. I, I literally laid across the whole table and said, <laughs> "I, I, I like this. To, I have to have all of these." And so, what I did first, I I bought one of each one, and there was probably about thirty or forty different titles. Yeah. I know there was about two or three with dust jackets, and all the others were laminates but there was some rare stuff Absolutely. like Warriors could... Gate was definitely there I remember seeing that yeah there. Warriors and Gate there there Mark just calm down alright <laughs> yeah, I know and paperbacks even at the two doctors first editions because they send all the first editions to America yes. and we all got the seconds and including the UK and all of a sudden these first editions were on the tables as well yeah, so you they... grabbed them all well what happened because I was only I think about 16 or 17 at the time so even though they were cheap I didn't have an unlimited <laughs> income so I went around I got one of every one for me an extra one of every one for me just in case <laughs> and this was driving you know to every target store within about a hundred kilometer radius just in case some targets got different titles from really holy yes. God. and and some did I picked up a time in the Rani and I, as far as I know, I was the only one to pick that up. And I picked up a Time Monster, which was the other one. Because I had a couple of friends that were doing the same thing. Uh, and I know Mind Mind Robber only turned up a couple of copies. So that happened. And then I don't know if you know this happened, Mark. About 
a month later when obviously Max quietly crying in the corner. <laughs> and I was staff then back by the way. <laughs> so it gets worse. Well when when they didn't sell as fast because as a fan I thought we've got to get everything today because they're gonna be gone. But three weeks later when I'm the only one and a couple of other people who bought a couple, they reduced them to a dollar ninety nine. Oh god. And that's when I could convince my dad, okay, now we load up the car and buy every <laughs> every single one. So we raced around and I bought maybe close to a thousand hardbacks and then what and then <laughs> for years and years at the doctor who club i was selling mint hardbacks for 10 bucks each i really wish you talked to me then because i could have given you staff discount as well <laughs> to make it even better anyway i'm being quietly sick in the corner now so just keep talking oh yeah so oh, and dear. that was some of the ones now are thousand dollar books um, like they, unearthly they child is absolutely uh, an unearthly child and uh, that day the daleks i remember seeing was with the um andrew skeletor reprint with the yeah. two i think it was yeah but i remember seeing unearthly child that's going ridiculous money at the moment so there are a few books and it is interesting with the books because you would think most of the production runs were about the same there is uh, the target book that goes into the, mm. and some of them did have lower and some of them did have higher but some of them are impossible to find and they had just the same print runs as some of the ones that don't go for as much at all I mean it might be the popularity of the stories but Time Lash and some of those ones don't don't go for anything Twin Dilemma mm. um, and then you have ones with the same runs and they might go for ten times as much so just for the interested listener, what are the top five most valuable Doctor Who Target hardcovers? first two they released were Auton Invasion and Cave Monsters. They went mainly to libraries and they didn't sell very well. So they they didn't um, do another hardback till Planet of the Spiders. I'm just going off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure. So Auton Invasion and Cave Monsters. And I think that's because they would have mainly gone to libraries. Mm. Further down the line where people are collecting stuff, you know, they get one of everything. But at the beginning of the line, with you know not the internet to let everyone know they're out uh, i don't think they sold as many to the general public so in my collecting years i've only ever seen two nice non-library uh, auton invasions only about two cave monsters you really? do see them turn up and they always go for quite a bit of money mm. and then genesis of the daleks yes. is another one that you know goes for crazy prices and then Mark was saying earlier, Warrior's Gate. Now, there was quite a big hardback community online who traded and um, gave tips to where to get them quite a, quite a while ago on the, the Richard Who website before that sort of became more disused. Mm. Uh, there was quite a few of us that would trade and, and get hardbacks. And even back then, so that might be 15 years ago, I remember a copy of Warrior's Gate, non-ex library, changing hands for... 500 pounds when the Australian dollar was under 50 pence so Jeez. over over a thousand dollars and at the time that was like I can't believe someone was crazy enough to to, to, to buy a target dollar 99 hardback for a for a thousand pounds but it happened and then yeah unearthly child I think is a special case because it's the first Doctor Who story a lot of them that turn up are X library again uh, I, I don't know again if the BBC putting a spin on this is an amazing 20th anniversary story that libraries who maybe wouldn't have got yeah. the every monthly release said, okay, we'll get that one. So there was less that went sort of into the public hands because libraries bought them up. That said, um, they did reprint the hardbacks as well. And there's some hardbacks that get got up to three reprints. I don't know any that did four. And they still go for a lot. They're mm. still hard ones to find. Like... Um, Loch Ness Monster mm. that got three prints the first one I think the first two have blue spines and then the last one has a white spine any of them 
is hard to find. So I guess it's just one of those things you've got to be lucky. Like collecting is a lot of work, but it's also a lot of luck. You know, I've, you know how they go with inspiration. It's like 90% perspiration (laughs) or 99%. I have honestly like worked and worked and worked and worked and worked to turn stuff up and found nothing. And then someone will go, I just walked into a shop, (laughs) found the entire set. Exactly. A friend of mine, he he was in Western Australia, went to, he just walked past a second-hand bookstore and out of interest, he goes, oh, have you got any Doctor Who hardbacks? He said, here's one, Warriors Gate. Hardback. (laughs) Five dollars. Ten bucks. So, uh, yeah, he's living in Noosa in a a palatial mansion. So, hello to you. This is the same thing as what Mark just said. You roll up to a a second-hand bookshop anywhere and you can just find stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's like the same with weekend markets and, and things like that and it just depends because if you grew up reading those and you've got the what Steve Jackson fighting fantasy yeah. books and you read them and you paid you know your two ninety five when they were out and then you weren't into them anymore and you put them in the garage and mm. now you're moving and you find this box of books they're still worth two ninety five <laughs> to you because that's what you yeah. you paid for them and unless you get online and check um, you're not going to know that they're worth those and then you can come along and go into the bookshop that you know paid 50 cents each and and then flip them. Yep. There's a lot of people yep. that do that. I really hope that um, one day the BBC and Hatchet Publishing get together and do another patchwork series uh, book run, but of the Doctor Who hardbacks and the Target books. It is interesting because they did a feasibility of that maybe about five years ago. Oh, did they? And I think a couple of the first issue, which was maybe put together as to see what interest there was. It was going to be Web of Fear and it had a reversible cover with the original cover and the new cover on the other side. Um, And I think one or two of those has surfaced. I think when they did it, it wasn't feasible. I think if they did the same thing now, just with Mm. the amount of new people who have taken up collecting hardbacks, I think a lot of people would jump straight onto it. Absolutely. For $25 a pop, I mean, it's a lot um, more economic... For, for people as opposed to you know $25,000 a pop you know for one of them so yeah if, yeah. if those piecework um, companies are releasing the Marvel and DC the nice hardbound um, yeah. issues you know I think it's you're right about 25 or $29 a month if mm. they did replicas of the original WHL and hardbacks I think it'd be a winner yeah the other thing that has made the price of collectibles go up is there is a lot of new collectors that have come into the market because of lockdown Mm. because there's a lot of people who don't have time for collecting or didn't you know collect because they had never come across you know this collecting community before but because of lockdown um, a lot of people had a lot of time on the internet and what do they do well they watch a show and then if they're really interested in it they they Google and then they say, oh, there's a Facebook page that, you know, deals with Target books. And then they join the Facebook page and then they see, oh, wait, there's adults who actually take collecting seriously. This isn't something that, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be teased for by my family because, you know, there's all these other people who have the same memories of collecting Target paperbacks, you know, mm. once a month. And so it's activated a lot of new people um, through nostalgia because yeah. the internet you know, because we've been locked down rather than looking forward, everyone's been looking back. Yeah. Um, yeah, so exactly. That's another thing that's, you know, increased prices a bit. I listened to a few retro gaming uh, podcasts and I've noticed a lot of the hosts actually have used lockdown as a way of shifting all their collections and just selling it all on now, funding different things in their lives. Are you finding people are 
sort of shifting away from say Doctor Who or something similar and then just pouring all the money into other sort of genres like they're flipping as it were? I haven't really seen that with Doctor Who Um, I guess I deal more with the collectors that are still buying stuff just because I'm a dealer and deal in merchandise most of the people that I you know have um, interactions with the people who are buying stuff from me there haven't been a lot of people who it, it does happen but there haven't been a lot of collectors who I know who've collected for years and years and years who have said ah oh, that's it I'm, I'm I'm done I'm done not because of the pandemic that happened two years ago because of Jodie Whittaker which we did cover on our last episode it was a bit of a ruckus I just go on record I wasn't trying to upset anyone that is just me as a dealer who makes a living out of buying and selling not just Doctor Who but all merchandise Um, that is just what I see happened and it's the absolute truth and you know the same thing happened with Star Wars where the new movies split the fan community I really loved the new Star Wars and a lot of people absolutely hated it and I didn't like the new Doctor Who so much, and there's a there's there are people that do like it, but it's. If I was the BBC and I had a crystal ball and I could have seen what was in the future, the same with Disney. If I had a crystal ball and I could have seen what was in the future, if both of the products that had come out at the end of it were absolutely amazing, but it had split the fans in half, I wouldn't have done it because. Even though, um, you know, some people love it and some people hate it. This is, you know, Star Wars and the new Doctor Who. Uh, what's happened, it's eroded the actual fan base. So it doesn't really matter if the show's getting accolades or is being slagged off or the movies are getting accolades or being slagged off. The grassroots level has changed forever and it's lost a lot of um, the momentum it had. Disney, um, with their streaming service and The Mandalorian and some of the other shows, are actually turning the tide back again. Mm. I don't see that happening with Doctor Who until everything changes. Well, the Doctor Who doesn't have that uh, capability at this time to, you know... I mean, there's so many strands to Star Wars, for instance, or there's so many strands to Star Trek yes. that you can do that. You can retrieve the situation that you may, they may have found themselves in by the, all these spin-offs. Doctor Who doesn't necessarily have that it may be just a lack of imagination uh, the space security service the adventures the continuing adventures of you know you could do that a limited run for Paul McGann the 8th Doctor but they won't do that um, you know companions in time and space they won't do they won't do that they just concentrate on Doctor Who they... it is interesting I don't know if you guys saw uh, Russell T Davies came out a couple of months ago and said ah oh, look Star Trek has a whole franchise and a whole expanded universe where they're sort of doing old Trek, current Trek, future Trek, different timelines. Wouldn't it be lovely if Doctor Who had that sort of same same thing? And I did wonder when he said that if, oh, that's him fishing for, or well, that's them sort of doing, you know, putting the feelers out. Would mm. there be interest there? And I think that would be the way to go because if they did a limited McGann series or if they did, you know, a spin-off with, with another group, if you didn't like core Doctor Who, there'd still be something for you. Um, uh, look, I understand. I mean, the BBC, you compare the BBC against the behemoth that is Disney, and you can, under, I mean, Disney can afford to do those sort of things. But in a world where there are production companies out there who are happy to take up contracts to do mm. this sort of thing, it, call me an idiot, but it makes sense that, you know, the BBC should consider that sort of thing. I mean, I'm, a limited run of McGann, for instance, which I've been talking about for years and years and years, seems to me, assuming that Paul McGann is interested, to be an utter no-brainer. Hmm. I mean, you know, the, the sort of cachet, the sort of excitement that that would generate. I mean, you know, we're seeing photos come out of uh, the current shooting for the, the new, the latest series of Doctor Who. Right. 
that seems exciting, not. But if you had something like McGann or anything else that hark back to the series of the, the history of the series, I think honestly, you might get more excitement that way. That may be why the PBC is not interested. But I, I, was just, I was just going to say maybe they don't want to do it because um, if it's more popular than their main show, as it were, their yeah. flagship show, it might also validate some of the um, the perceptions of the show at the moment, where potentially a female hasn't worked. If they put, you know, say Paul yeah, McGann, but that's, that's, that's just another, but, another form yeah. of cowardice. Really. Yeah, exactly. You got to give it a go. You know. Well, the the other thing is I've seen um, Matt Smith and David Tennant at conventions talk about, you know, it always comes up, will you ever come back to Doctor Who? And they've always sort of said, oh, if there's an anniversary, of course we'll come back. But I remember one conversation between the two of them where they've sort of, do you know what would be lovely? If we just came back and did the Christmas special every year. And that would be really interesting to see if one year they said, well, we're actually just going to do a different era Christmas special just mm. to see how it goes. Um I think they're in a rut at the moment, the BBC, with with regards to Doctor Who. I think, I mean, I know you said before that it's a flagship show. It's not pumped out at you know, ten o'clock at night. Mm. You know, that would be great. That would show you know confidence in the the series that they created. Uh, but you know, if they look, they might ingenuity and yeah. you know inventiveness. Mm. Um, but the BBC might not think there's an issue with it at the moment. Maybe just I mean, Chibnall didn't want to do Christmas specials. No, really. No. I mean, so why not farm that out? Yeah. Oh, I think it would be a case of what you were saying. The people who are running it wouldn't want anyone else to do it. And then everyone goes, this other version is, mm. is, is, is so better than better. what we're getting. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think... I, I think if it was going to happen, it would be someone sat down with a 10-year plan and said, this is how we're mapping out the future of Doctor Who. This is how the series diversifies one way. And have we, we have these characters doing this and this series is here and this series is here. And it meets up again down here, yeah. and that's the ten-year run, and we stick to it, and no one changes it. Fa- yeah, the, it's like a Marvel phase, isn't it? Really, it, it yeah. almost yeah. is. And, yeah. be, and there would be massive crossover appeal. People yeah. who would watch that would watch that and yeah. watch that as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you might lose five or ten percent, but still, yeah. it would be. Yeah. Again, the BBC doesn't have the money, and the BBC's under siege from the, you know. But why not? Why not be inventive? Why not be courageous? Exactly. Yeah. The merchandisers are screaming out for more, you know, for for, for more and different from what they're currently getting, what's mm. currently available. Yeah. To bring it back to while well, we're actually here. <laughs> exactly right. Although I don't think torture is going to come back in a hurry. <coughs> was that noise? What was that noise? <laughs> Put it back in. <laughs> so just before we wrap things up. We're actually physically recording in Aaron's store. We're face to face. Thank God that you know we're not in lockdown or anything like that. <laughs> no masks. So we're here, Aaron. I mean, I'll, I'll turn around and I can see cabinet after cabinet, display after display of some of the most fantastic merchandise you could ever have in your store. And again, we'll give everyone the contact points uh, before we wrap it up. Just give us a bit of a guided tour about what you have on display for sale for the lucky punter who wants to come in. Well, I have kind of what I love. So. A lot of the store is um, Star Wars, which is also our biggest seller. The vintage Star Wars stuff is um, has always been popular and always will be, I think. Um, I've got a big Lego selection, a big um, sort of Transformer collection, Ninja Turtles, He-Man, the sort of pop culture from the 80s that I grew up with, I sort of love and, um, and sell now. And then there's the oddities, so you've got... You've got all the main movies, but you've got all the other stuff that's sort of um, a bit more niche. So you might find Mars Attacks or Lost in Space or the old um, Shogun Warriors. Um, 
I've gone into Pokemon cards a little bit, not because I love Pokemon cards, because my son grew up with them, and then so many kids are coming in going, have you got any Pokemon cards? Um, we've, we've got those too. I guess what you would expect in a popular culture sh shop that sort of um, supplies stuff that you grew up with from the 70s and 80s. And I love your uh, Kenner Star Wars collection as well, and you've got some of those uh, narrated... Uh, records of Empire Strikes Back there I can see as well the one as uh, Return of the Jedi there I remember listening to that one ad nauseum when I had the record in 83 I can remember, <laughs> remember some of the lines in there you I, rebel scum well do you know that record had alternate takes to the movie because no. I listened to that so much when I saw the movie eventually got it on um Video. Yeah, I was like, "This is wrong. It's not. The, it's not the same as the read-along record." It's non-canon. Non-canon. <laughs> Get it right. Really. The thing that takes my my uh, attention is the uh, the alien xenomorph egg that you've got sitting on the cabinet there, uh, with a little note against it saying, "In this shop, no wife can hear you spend," uh, which I, <laughs> is very very funny. But I mean, there's there's I mean, there's modern stuff here. There's a Galactus head up near the door. Uh, there are Funko Pops and a Batmobile from the 89 movie is that what you Hot Toys so oh. that came out a couple of years ago right I could actually get and drive that, 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 that it's, it's massive that big. isn't my it my god yeah. <laughs> so we we mainly have second hand stuff we do get some new stuff in but I'll normally only sort of order what uh, someone comes in and says oh can you can you get this um, because generally speaking Aaron if someone comes in and says oh, I would like X from X show how difficult would it be? I mean, do you, as a percentage, how often are you able to fulfil someone's request? Usually, unless it's something that's just impossible to find. Like which a mechanoid. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd sell my one, but it'd be a price. <laughs> For but, sure. Uh, usually, usually, if I haven't got it, I say to someone, look, I can track this down for you, but what I will be doing is looking online. If you have got someone who can do eBay, I would suggest you, you get this. Or I might even look and say, look, I can find them on eBay. This is what they cost. I'll always say to the person, if you've got someone in your family who can get it in for you, get it in because if I get it in, I'm just going to be making money on top, yep. which is usually about 20% for, yep. for ordering it in. Um, so yeah, I can generally track down just about anything, even a complete set of Doctor Who hardbacks. I think that wraps it up. This uh, store, Aaron, is a real credit to you. I know uh, I was buying stuff from you in the early 90s, DWBs are coming around, and this store, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that's the culmination because your career has not ended. But this is a fantastic business that you've set up. I mean, it's always great to see small businesses in Melbourne uh, come to the fore. Uh, and I know everything; a lot of things are online, but you can't beat the experience of being in here. Walking up and down the aisles and just looking in the shelves, there's just some fantastic stuff here that I didn't even know existed. So thank you very much for hosting us. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. And uh, like we said on, or what, like you guys promoted me on the other uh, on one of the older podcasts anyone who comes in and mentions 42 to doomsday gets a free copy of doctor who magazine from our back issues and if you say keep punching you get two <laughs> that's right and before we wrap up aaron just give us the address and the online uh, places that we can find you so we're shop number three one main street in blackburn and it's aaron's collectibles on Facebook and Instagram, and we have a Shopify account that, that links from our website, which is also Aaron's Collectibles, with one A, Aaron with one A, if you do a Google search. And when do you do your show? What's it called? Rip the Card, is that right? I also do a weekly collectible uh, video blog, which is live from the shop every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, which you can find links to from the Facebook page and also the Sci-Fi Zone page on Facebook. Before we go, did somebody, you were showing people uh, backing cards of figures, 
and somebody saw one of them and then contacted you and say, I want that one. Is yes. that right? I want that one. I want that one. Yes. So even people ripping the figures are long gone, but they've still got the backing card. We'll take the backing card. Is that right? Yeah. We, Myself and Dags, who runs the show, we didn't know what we were going to call it, and he suggested calling it Mint on Card. And I said, oh, no, let's call it Rip It Off the Card because I <laughs> yeah. open and display stuff. And our first show was uh, talking about the phenomenon of collect of people who collect backing cards because star wars figures have got to the point now where you know a lot of them you're paying some of those really rare ones yes up to ten thousand dollars so people settle with the backing card which they came on and we had some of those cards and i was showing them on on the show so just the backing cards some of them sold for for five six hundred dollars oh again i'm feeling quite nauseous (laughs) (laughs) And the only way that's going to help me out tonight is having a nice curry around the corner, Aaron. So uh, thanks very much for being on that show. Hopefully it won't be as long next time, Aaron. Oh, it's a pleasure. Hopefully a pandemic won't intervene either. (laughs) Yes, stay tuned for that one. Contact has been made. (laughs) (laughs) And until next episode, I've been Mark. I've been Rob. I've been Aaron. And we'll speak again soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with with you again soon.